Thanks for checking out the site. We're into more than law and politics around here. After my rant, keep listening, and I'll introduce one of our top 50 songs of all time. So here's a question for you. Do mandatory arbitration clauses in consumer and employment contracts amount to an unfair advantage favoring companies against individuals? The New York Times on Sunday addressed this issue in their lead story. It was a massive, multi-page extravaganza attacking companies or having the audacity to want to move consumer disputes away from our manic legal system and into the more rational world of arbitration. Increasingly, when people apply for a credit card or use a cell phone or get cable TV or Internet service or shop online, they are asked to agree to private arbitration if there's a dispute as opposed to an old-fashioned lawsuit and as opposed to class action lawsuits. The same thing is applying to getting a job or renting a car or putting a relative into a nursing home. These clauses are used as a way to bar people from joining together in class action suits. Now, consumers say this is just flat wrong because class actions realistically can be the only tool citizens have to fight illegal or deceitful business practices. Recently, a lot of high-profile class actions have been tossed out because of arbitration clauses. For example, Time Warner customers sued over charges uh, that they mysteriously uh, applied to bills. That suit was tossed out. A class action against a travel booking website accused of conspiring to fix hotel prices. That also was tossed out because of arbitration clauses. In fact, there's some powerful responses to these arguments and in favor of the arbitration clauses. First of all, some folks don't want to admit it, but our society has seen an avalanche, an epidemic of frivolous lawsuits. These suits can be catastrophic to companies in terms of legal expenses, derailment of growth and expansion and job creation that are pushed by greedy lawyers who see an opportunity to make massive fees simply because companies are really being extorted and forced to settle for millions or tens of millions or even more because of the inevitable defense fees and the slim chance of an adverse jury verdict. To the extent arbitration clauses can reduce this danger, it's a tremendous tool our society has to fight back against a really pernicious trend. Second, these clauses represent freedom and the market system at work. Companies have a right to say to consumers, hey, we would love to have your business, but here are the conditions. You have to sign the arbitration clause. If you don't like it, knock yourself out. Go to another company that's selling phone service or cable TV service who doesn't require you to sign an arbitration clause and deal with them. Nobody holds a gun to the consumer's head and says, you have to sign the arbitration clause. There are plenty of competitors out there who would love to get their business. Thirdly, it's not like massive class actions for consumers are the only way to stop unfair or illegal practices. We happen to have a vast network of federal, state, and local governmental activity, and their tentacles reach into every aspect of our life. The regulatory infrastructure is available to investigate and to impose fines and suspensions, even invoke criminal laws. Consumers have highly paid, highly motivated, highly biased advocates who are embedded among the the government employee roles, who would like nothing better than to take down the corporations guilty of unfair or illegal activity. The idea that in addition to that, consumers should be able to file lawsuits even after they freely entered into arbitration clauses is just wrong. 
American Express, for example, has noted that over the last few years, banking regulators have examined the company's business practices and have required significant changes and large fines to address issues they found. And it makes sense for experts in the field, like regulators, to explore necessary changes as opposed to putting these monster disputes in the laps of jurors who are not well equipped to work through the vast detail and the minutia, and frankly, who have strong biases against giant companies and in favor of consumers who feel they've been ripped off. Fourth, if the courts want to enforce rules about fairness and disclosure, fine. Impose requirements on contracts that say these clauses, these mandatory arbitration provisions, have to be prominent. They can't be buried in tiny type on page 13 of a 40-page contract that nobody on the planet will read. Again, knock yourself out. Specify where in the contract an arbitration clause has to appear. Hell, impose a requirement that the consumer has to be videotaped saying, yes, I'm fine with the arbitration clause. All that's good. But don't take away the right of companies and consumers to enter into these agreements. Now, that New York Times piece points out that after years of strategizing by large companies to set up the arbitration clauses, the U.S. Supreme Court, on a couple of occasions in recent years, has approved the use of class action bars in contracts. Now, when you think about how our political system is so one-sided, it's really remarkable that people are clamoring to take away one of the few tools that exist in society to try to assure rational, fair-minded ways to resolve disputes. Take California, for example. Talk about the deck being stacked. All of the rules pertaining to lawsuits and the recovery of benefits and the availability of massive attorney's fees are written by the Democrats. In California, folks, it's a one-party state. You know, the Constitution in California specifies statewide officers like governor, lieutenant governor, like treasurer, controller, secretary of state, and so on. Guess what? Every single one of these officers is a Democrat, and has been for many years. If you carve out superstar Arnold Schwarzenegger, it was kind of hard to figure out what he really was. Then, let's turn to the legislature. The Democrats have a permanent lock on a majority in both halves of the California legislature, the state senate, the state assembly. These are precariously close to having a supermajority for the Democrats, and when they reach two-thirds, there will be absolutely nothing stopping total one-party control. I take that recent battle in California over gay marriage. went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. That was yet another tool the public has to try to flex its muscles and affect public policy in spite of the single-minded approach taken by California's legislators and elected officials. But that one tool has now been watered down. You remember Prop 8? It said marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, you may have thought that was a really stupid proposition. Maybe it was. But it's what the people wanted, it's what they voted for, and thus the people who voted for it had a right to see it defended in court. Now, as we all know, it was challenged in court, and it got its butt kicked. The federal judge in San Francisco who decided the trial of the legality of Prop 8 said, it's illegal, it's unconstitutional, it's out of here. Fine, the system worked. The people passed something that the judicial branch found to be wrong. But then, when the defenders of Prop 8 said, okay, we lost at the trial court level, up we go, let's fight this battle up the appellate ladder, the appellate system said, no, we don't think so. You see, there's this technical argument about standing. It turns out that when the folks who hated Prop 8 sued, they named as defendants the governor, Schwarzenegger, and the attorney general, Jerry Brown. So, when there was a federal trial and Prop 8 lost at that trial, the defendants were the governor and the attorney general. So when Prop 8 lost, technically the losers were the governor and Jerry Brown. And guess what? 
Schwarzenegger and Jerry Brown are fine with gay marriage. They were fine with the state of California losing at the trial court, so they didn't appeal the loss. Instead, the political forces who financed and pushed Prop 8's victory, who defended it at the trial court and lost, said, well, it's okay, we don't need Schwarzenegger and Brown. We're going to continue the fight up the appellate ladder to the Ninth Circuit and maybe the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court and the Ninth Circuit said, no, you can't do it. Unless you get the governor on board, once you lose at the trial court, that's it, too bad. In other words, the initiative process, the ballot proposition, one of the few ways the people of California can actually have their voice be heard over the objections of the professional politicians, is eviscerated. Because the professional politicians, who were the technical parties in the Prop 8 case, didn't want to fight. It's fine for you to believe that the left has good solutions and the right is populated by idiots. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But when the pendulum never swings, when you have one party rule decade after decade, it's not exactly a formula for success in our society. We're supposed to be in a compromise. So, against this backdrop, let's get back to arbitration. At least companies have one remaining tool at their disposal. Namely, they can write the contracts they ask consumers to sign. And consumers are free to flip them off and say, the hell with you, I'm not signing that arbitration clause. The class action system is essentially a big scam designed to generate legal fees. In one case, against the television manufacturer that had been accused of selling sets with fuzzy pictures, the plaintiffs each received coupons for 25 or 50 bucks toward another TV. TV set. And what did the lawyers for the plaintiffs get? $22 million. What do you think that did for the price of televisions with fuzzy screens? Now, some reforms, of course, can help blunt the power of the class action. For a long time, it was well known that plaintiffs' lawyers knew where to bring their lawsuits. Jurisdictions uh, were known to be friendly to class actions. Then we saw some progress. Congress passed the Class Action Fairness Act, letting companies move cases into federal court and out of state courts that were considered hostile to corporate defendants. Now, the reason the U.S. Supreme Court has been willing to uphold arbitration clauses is that there's a federal law called the Federal Arbitration Act passed way back in the 20s. And in recent years, the courts have held that the law covers a range of disputes between companies and their employees and their customers. The U.S. Supreme Court recently strengthened the enforceability of arbitration clauses. The case involved AT&T. AT&T put a clause in the contract saying if there's a dispute, arbitration is required. But the clause said that if a customer wins in an arbitration, the victory will be at least 7500 bucks, and AT&T will be required to pay double the customer's legal fees. So then there was a dispute. Customer said, hey, AT&T ripped me off. They promised me free phone. If I signed up with them, then they charged me 30 bucks." AT&T said, okay, let's get it on, but in the arbitration context, because that's what the contract calls for. Customer said, no, no, we don't care about that stinking arbitration clause. We're in California, and the California courts have said that arbitration clauses that ban class actions are unfair. They are what the courts call unconscionable. So AT&T comes back and says, nice try, but the Federal Arbitration Act applies here. It preempts or supersedes the state law that doesn't like class action bars. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor of AT&T. Justice Scalia wrote for the majority, saying the fundamental purpose of the Federal Arbitration Act is to make sure that arbitration agreements are enforced according to their terms. So, enjoy the enormous article in the New York Times about how evil, huge companies are trying to crush class actions. But, no, there are two sides to the story. Except in California, where, you know, there's just one side to every story.
Okay, for number 46 on our list of the top 50 songs of all time, let's get into the hot tub time machine and travel back to 1970. The group is the Guess Who, and their song that tapped into the burgeoning protests against the Vietnam War reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100. On the flip side of their 45, if you remember those, was No Sugar Tonight, but our number 46 is American Woman. American Woman, stay away. American woman, sit 